Hi, I'm Matt Bujalski, and welcome to VC in Conversations, a new podcast from Innovation Nest dedicated to pan-European B2B founders and VCs. We'll talk with key employees from Innovation Nest, along with founders and special guests from the industry, about topics that really matter, including paradigm-shifting events, deep tech, complex product development, key founder challenges, and revenue growth strategies. I couldn't be more excited to be your host on this journey and hope you find these conversations as interesting as I do. Welcome. In this episode, I'll be speaking with CEO and founder of Welly, Vincent Cost. We're going to learn how Vincent parted ways with his family cognac business to build a world-class SaaS buying platform for companies to better manage and purchase all of their software. Welly seeks to solve the ever-growing issue of SaaS management and shadow IT. Listen in to how he handled challenges in finding a co-founder, how his product has evolved based on user conversations, and what his global sales strategy is. Vincent, can you say hello to everyone and, and maybe give us a couple of sentences of introduction on, on Welly, exactly what it is that you do? Welly, it's, uh, to give you some context, is a SaaS buying platform. It's a platform we created with my co-founder to help fast-growing companies to better manage all the software and to better buy them. Basically, what we, we do is we have the technology to identify automatically every application that is used in a company. We can identify all the users, we can identify the contracts, and we can also identify all the spend for those tools. So it helps our customer to first have visibility of what is really used by the companies. And also from this, we are able to give some insights about this inventory, we can detect unused application. We can detect also overlap in terms of application functionalities. And what we do is we have a new layer because it wasn't on our first vision, but now we have a dedicated buyers for our clients and we are able to buy new tools and to renew all the contracts they already have. So they can really focus on their business, on what matters for them during the time that we, we are doing all this part of uh, procurement. Wonderful. So I'd love to go into kind of, you know, some of the details of the product a little bit later, as well as your, your kind of evolution along the way, some of the things that you learned and the challenges that you figured out. But just to give us a little bit more context, can you tell me about how this idea of starting Welly came about? How did you get into startups in the first place? Is this the first company you started? Give us a little bit more context. Yeah, sure. It's actually funny because I'm not actually from the digital ecosystem. I came from Cognac. It's a small city in, uh, in France. My parents and my family, by the way, own an import and export business. They sell Cognac all over the world. So I wanted to do this at the beginning. That's why I, I came to a business school and I was also doing a major in finance because I really believe that finance is the best way to, to pilot a company. So I did this and over the time I was thinking more and more to myself that doing that for my first experience wasn't a good thing for me. It was like, I think I will need maybe more challenge and I, I wanted to, to do something else in another company in order, you know, to, to see other things and leave this uh, background of spirit industry. But I still have it in mind, but not for yet. So I went to Paris and I found uh, my first job at Rich5. So it's a customer identity and access management platform. 
And I was one of the first employees and I was managing all finance and operation stuff. And this is why I started to, to think about create something that will help people to, to be, better manage those SaaS tools. It was like such a huge amount of time that I lost doing this. And it was not a big company. So I was like, okay, big companies should have so many big problems. And so I, I decided to, to quit my job and, and to create a Willish, the SaaS buying platform I just explained. And then the adventure started. It was like quite a, a big challenge for me. And I was super exciting to go uh, and create my own company. Because so, you know, I, I got some entrepreneur family. It was also, also like something I always have in mind. And actually I was like, you know, the first big challenge that I have was to first get the idea because you have this context of, do you have enough experience or not to go? Do you have enough network or not? So after being like four years in a company, I was benchmarking some ideas and sometimes I just declined them because I didn't feel it. But when I, I got this idea of manage, managing SaaS softwares, it was like all green flags. And for me, it was like, no, I have to go. So after the first lockdown, I just said to my boss, hey, Jeremy, uh, I need to go. Uh, I need to create my company. Like I got the idea and he gave me this opportunity. So special uh, thanks to him, by the way, for letting me go. <laughs> well, I think having firsthand experience of the problem that you, you know, as a, as a CFO, you were experiencing the problem of managing all your SaaS subscriptions. So you, you knew the problem firsthand. And I think maybe that gave you a little confidence trying to solve that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there is two schools. Some people say like, you can do the best product when you, you're not coming from the industry, but some best of the company I know, it's always like sometimes the founders, they found the problem by managing it at the work. So. So yeah, for sure, it has been super helpful for us and to, to build like super quickly a, a vision of what we want to do and to go like faster into the market because we, we have this good perception of the problem. Yeah. So when you identified the problem that you wanted to solve, you know, what did, uh, what did your evolution look like after that? You know, obviously you don't have a technical background. So how did you fill that gap? Yeah. So one of the biggest challenges I have during this experience was first to find uh, my co-founder because as you just said i'm not a tech guy i've been to a business school finance was my really my expertise and so very linked to our business model so the first things i have to do is to find my co-founder and here was like the best learning i have from this uh, entrepreneurial experience it was i think i went too fast at the beginning i really wanted to go super fast and I start like looking for, um, because I didn't know anyone that was looking for a project like this. So I had to, to find solution and some, you, you can, you have some websites. Like, um, I was using one entrepreneur.com, uh, something like this. And, uh, I found the first one and I got two red flags that I didn't listen with him. So the red flags were when you connected with somebody, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Because you have your instinct that is talking to you. Like if someone do a kind of weird behavior, 
like you mustn't go like he, he have done some unmature uh, behavior and so well just to jump back and, and get a little more context so you were on this entrepreneurial matching site yeah and you ended up matching with somebody and you started engaging them yeah yeah exactly so i found this guy in the in the platform and so i did the first interview with him he was like super nice super kind he got some four years of experience in coding it was from a big firm and so then i started the hiring process with him and i was like also with my advisor that know how to lead tech interviews and he told me i'm not sure it's gonna be the guy so first mistake i have done is and i didn't listen to my my advisor at this time so it was the first learning and then during the, the end of the hiring process, he came to Paris. We have been like starting walking together and he made some, some weird behavior. And from this, I shouldn't go with him, but I said, no, I mean, it's not a big deal. You want to give us a little bit more insight on that, on that weird behavior? Yeah. I mean, it was like uh, a kid stuff, you know, I was like still uh, at this moment working in, in the other companies and starting mine. So during two days, I couldn't send him anything he was like expecting some documentation from me to start his work and at the end he just write me a, a message on my phone the night listen Vincent uh, you, you don't trust me so I wish you all the best for, for for the adventure so it was like what is talking about like so I just call him and explain to him that I was like super busy etc and and then we we decided to to continue together but from just from this, you probably should have said goodbye, yeah? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was my first mistake. And and so why I'm saying it was my first mistake, the second mistake, sorry, it's because after it was a lot of weird stuff like this all uh, during our collaboration. And then went the exercise of the shoulder agreement. And I just had... A new person in front of me it was not the person i knew it was like someone that is just critiquing and not negotiating so from this i just understood that i don't have an entrepreneur in front of me so i called my advisor at this time and he told me we have to do something like it will be difficult to leave but we need to do it because this is a, a, a tough decision but we did it and at this time i already have some contracts with some customers so it was super complicated to manage this like personally i was like feeling alone you know uh, in the in the middle of an island but i decided to to make an action plan to to solve this problem and what i learned it's like today failure you have to take it as luck because every time you have a big failure something even bigger and super positive came to you just after and so the crazy stuff and uh, thank you god for this it's like I found my other co-founder thanks to some an ex-colleague and it was just the perfect timing to to meet this guy and we just start on the shoulder agreements, we align our vision and now at this time just started the, the good relationship I have with him and I found like I found my co-founder like this. It was like crazy coming from nowhere. So yeah, it was crazy. You know, it's it's interesting for all the founders that uh, startup founders that I've interviewed there's always the same repeating pattern where there's an unexpected challenge that is seemingly overwhelming 
somehow that challenge is resolved. And then out of nowhere comes some lucky event that's completely unplanned. And the more that I hear this pattern repeating, I believe in the words that, you know, luck finds those that work hard. It seems to be true that, you know, you're never going to get 100% of the way just by hard work. There has to be some luck along the way, but the harder that you work and the more you stay focused, it seems like your probability of getting something lucky to happen goes higher. But I, I want to jump back into what you said about your customers. You said you started getting your customers. How did you get those initial customers? What was your strategy? Yeah, well, first customers, we had them by using like the methodology of, uh, I would say, sense methodology of user research. So as soon as I, I got the, the idea and the concept of Welly, I started just to make some market research. I was like interviewing some some C-levels of all the scale-up ecosystem. So all the startup and scale-up in Paris. So I, I got some interview with CFO, with CIO of the best company in Paris. And at the end, I just had some opportunity to create my first prototype on Figma. And then I came back to those people and I just showed them the Figma, the prototype. And they were like giving back the feedback. They were like, I think, feeling very implicated into product development. And at the end of the interview, I was asking them, okay, so do you wanna, do you wanna do it with me or not? And more than 50% of those companies just say, yeah, because they were like kind of appreciated our vision and about uh, the SaaS management industry. Wow. So how did you get those first initial contacts in the first place? How did you, you know, how did you get a hold of these people? Yeah, we're just like going manually on LinkedIn, finding the people I, I was looking for, adding them with a kind message. And then when the people were like accepting and the crazy thing actually is we didn't start the commercialization of the product yet. And thanks to some communication on LinkedIn, we got some people asking for demonstration. And then we got some customer like this saying about like Jelly Smack. It's a very nice, it's a great company. So they came to us like this, even like Luca. And like by uh, hunting by myself, we, we got some company like Airco. And the thing is, they knew our competitor into the US, they knew what they were doing, but the solution were not accepted by those companies because they have a kind of overlap in terms of functionality with identity and access management solution. And so they didn't think it was the right choice to, to take those, those tools. And us, we came with a financial vision around buying tools, around optimization, and this vision was more a must to have than something else. So um, I think it's a good opportunity to talk a little bit about how your product has evolved over time. You know, I know you had an initial idea that you started workshopping with the customers, but how has that vision evolved over time? Yeah, I think I have the perfect sentence for challenge that we have by building the product. It's 99% of running happen after launching. Why I'm saying this? Because you always have these questions at the beginning of your company. Do I try to do the perfect product or do I try to go super fast and learn? And so we have decided to be like super lean and we didn't even start on a product. We were like, after signing our first customers, 
we were like making some user testing about the product on Figma. So we have a great prototype with workflow, etc. It was really like high fidelity prototype. And so from this, we already did like three iterations. Taking all the feedbacks, we were helpful to make an even more better product just on Figma. And during this time, my co-founder, Jean-Guillaume, just was starting to to develop all the backend, so all the integration, all the all the things we were expecting to collect the data from our customers. So that was the first step of the beginning was this Figma prototype that we have been developing to be sure that we are going on the good way. How long? By collecting all the feedbacks. Yeah, sorry, I was just going to ask how long that process took. It was like user testing was one month and a half. So during one month and a half, I was like day and night on Figma. <laughs> it was crazy time. But uh, but we did it, and just by doing this, I'm sure like we saved maybe six or nine months of coding, and just to wait that the code is ready and and test. So I think it was the, the best option we we have we have made at the beginning. But then we went to an, a new phase. It was like starting to ship the product. The challenge was what do we do first, and what are the best option to to ship very fast. So as I was by myself manipulating all the data in Excel, just to learn by myself and see what we can bring to our customer, we decided to do the same for the product. So I was kind of the willy engine. I was preparing all the data of our customer. So we were already able to to deliver maybe like 80% of the product we have sold just in, in three months. So I was just preparing all the data in Excel. I was taking all the financial data from the clients. I was mixing this with human resource, all the data that we got from IT teams. And I was like compiling all of them on databases on Excel. And like just sometimes my, my computer went so crazy. I got like for some con- some company, I, I had more than 100,000 lines of data. It was like Excel were going so crazy. It was kind of funny, but we were preparing all of this and my, uh, my co-founder and we, we hired our first developer this period. So it was right after the Figma iterations. We were like starting to ship product features per features. So we got some, some new features every week for the customers. And it was like, we were like going super, super fast. And to, to give you a, an overview of the timeline, when we started our fundraising uh, round, we had only the Figma prototype. And when we have closed the round, we had almost like 60 to 70% of the product. But that's also a challenge that I think you need to, to be very careful about this because you have this like phase of you ship a lot of features, but in the meantime, you don't automate your product. So what is the best way to, to rebound about this? So we were like doing kind of three weeks of features and then one week of automation to start anticipate our needs at six months ago and know like we are more in a phase or we we automate a lot and we ship a little bit less of features. So the challenge is, do you think your customer will appreciate this phase without so many features deliveries? But I think we did the right choice because we are already able to to find some amazing um, solution for our clients. For example, we just with one tool, we already find 200k 
euros of savings just for one tool. So we are already able to help our clients, even if it's not, you know, automated yet. You know, this is a great segue to, to kind of understand what your value prop was initially and how that value prop has changed over time. That's also a, a nice uh, effect of building a startup. I mean, the vision we had one year ago and the vision we have today is really different because between all this time, we have been talking with venture capital, we have been talking with customers, we have been talking with prospects, and our vision is always moving to something different, something something we can do. And so at the beginning, uh, we were more a SaaS management platform. So to give you some context about the market, SaaS management tools, since there is an explosion of SaaS tools into the software industry, now there is two main problems that companies need to solve. The first one is how do I manage all my users in terms of when you you onboard someone, you know, now you, ha you have to create access to so many applications. So how do I automate all this creation of seats for this, uh, for the end users? And the second problem is now there is a creation of the shadow IT. So the shadow IT is all this expense that uh, financial and IT teams doesn't know. So SaaS management tools are more solving this second problem, second issue. That means managing all these tools and have a vision of how much tool do you have, how many users, do you have a good usage, do you have any contracts, when are the renewal dates, etc. And so the, what happened into the market, those SaaS management tools, they were starting to get a mature product like two or three years ago, and now they're shipping more functionality around automation of onboarding and offboarding. So your kind of new competitor of identity and access management tools that already do this. And for us, it's not the, the good approach. And as I was saying, like some companies, they don't want to buy those tools because it's already on overlap with other tools they have. So yeah, now we actually decided to, to change our market approach. And we are not anymore a sets management tool, but we keep all the functionality that we had uh, since the beginning, because we know how to do it, it give value to our customers. But now we add a new layer to our value proposition with some procurement service. That means we add a procurement support to our people. We have a dedicated buyers to help our clients just negotiate the best tool for the right price and just by staying focused on the business. We are doing all the bad job of buying software like this. You can really, really focus on one meter. Also, what was the thing that make us change this approach it was also because when we, we were talking to, to clients and prospects, but also with investors that we met during our fundraising, the thing that we understood it's the money is not the best things you can give to your clients as value proposition. The thing is, those companies we were targeting, they have ambitious targets and they need to, sh to deliver very, 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 very fast. So maybe you can tell us really quick what those target customers are. I understand you're, you're targeting us, um, technology scale-ups, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I didn't give these details, but uh, we decided to first target all the scale-ups and big technological companies because they are like native SaaS in their business. So they use so many SaaS and the biggest problem we can, we can find is those companies. 
So it's a kind of quick win. We just focus on this because we know there is a huge problem here and we can be super helpful first with those companies. Then we will decide to go to biggest company. And so what you're what I heard that you were saying is that these scale-ups, they don't have an issue with money. Saving them money isn't really what they're after. So what are they after? Yeah, because you know those companies, they, they raise like a huge amount of money. It's like crazy. And so, okay, you can help me to to save maybe 200K, 500K, but I don't have the time for your project and I need to focus on, on my activity. So they could see the thing like this. But what was even more painful was exactly what the guy told me. I don't have the time. So how can I help this guy to have the time to do this? So when you have like 300 tools to manage, buying those tools, it's like super painful for them because they lose so many, so many hours of work. Like one tool, it's four hours for people that will be implicated into the purchasing process. So the best things we can do is to help us save this time by doing this job like this, they can focus on the business and reach the target and be more efficient for the company. That was this, uh, this thing that lets us change our approach and, and now we're going on that way. So how big is this market that you're going after? Yeah, it's actually quite a big market because according to our resources as Gartner, we know that the global procurement as a service market reach like 7 billion this year in terms of uh, valuation. And it's going to increase over the year. So during the next 10 years, they say that this market is going to increase by 10% as a CAGR. So there is so many things to do. And what's your, what's your growth strategy? How are you, you know, how are you going to capture this market or, or a percentage of this market? We, we actually started from the niche market and it was also the decision of people we have done. It's now, before we were more targeting the IT market, by we had an our vision that we could help people managing data flow between some tools. We were able also to, to manage uh, different IT stuff. But now that we are going to this procurement as a service market, we are telling ourselves that in a general way, it's so painful for companies to buy things. They don't have the time to do it. And so they will do it badly. And without all the competencies, they will need to do it on the best way. So what we want to do is we actually integrate, we enter this market uh, by this niche market of managing SaaS and buying SaaS and renew all your contracts. And then we want to establish a product. We want to build a product that will help our clients to buy any type of things. There is so many other opportunities and painful buying process for our clients. The, the next one we have in mind, for example, is all the infrastructure because all of our customers, they buy infrastructure to build the software and it's a huge amount of money. It's very complicated. Infrastructure and as a service. Yeah, exactly. Like for AWS, GCP. And so, yeah, little by little, we want to take all this buying process and incorporate them in our products. 
And what does your sales strategy look like to accomplish that? I mean, right now, right now it's just you, correct? Is the you're you're owning the sales process? Yeah, exactly. That the main milestone we we need to do on the next month is to build this product and build our funding team. This is the only things we need to do, and where our shareholders will judge us. So we invested massively all our investments into the product and i will start selling the products so i have a team of uh, two sales they will make like some cold call call emailing to bring me some some meetings and over the time i will have them to go more and more in the sales cycle in the sales funnel and so what we are going to do for the next year is to uh, use our network to get the right introduction and focus on a certain amount of companies and really being with those people, helping them, making interviews to better understand their problems. And it will also help us to execute our content strategy. We want to focus on a very, very good content to help people better manage this, to really have this position of we are experts by doing this. And actually this, this approach is very interesting because on the other side, your customer or your prospects right, won't see you as a, a sales guy. It will be like seeing you as someone that wants to help him because I will always make him interviews, adapting my product to him and create a good relationship with him. That's actually my, my full-time job is sales. And in the sales world, we call that a trusted advisor. Yeah, exactly. And this is what I have done until today. And just the, the thing also I like is to build a relationship with people. I love people, so I'm very happy also to help them to find better solution and to create really the products they need. So that will be the strategy that we, 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 we will do for the next year. And then we are planning to, to do a seed round to start scale our sales strategy. And so at this time, I will decide to hire a very experimental sales guys that come from the industry and to build uh, the sales team and create this lead machine. So what about on the, on the technical side uh, and other parts of the company? What kind of hires do you have coming up? We almost uh, finished to build our funding team. So the major profile we have was a product manager. Uh, why do we have hired the product manager it's because today we were like two founders and i think startup when you have three founders you can be even more efficient to build and launch super quickly your company so i think the profile we missed as a founder was a product manager so during one day i was like searching for the best product company and i was like targeting those companies or the product manager and we were like super happy to to finally hire a very experimented person from Conto. So the best fintech in France, according to me. I mean they have a super nice product approach. I'm very impressed of what they do. And so now we also have hired a senior backend developer and we need to hire for the next month another backend developer because we have so many technical uh, challenges to solve. There is so many ideas we want to develop. And uh, not yet, but very soon we will need to hire a buyer 
that will be this this dedicated values that we gonna add as a support for our customers. But at the beginning, we are starting to do it by myself. I mean, I am the buyer. Yeah, and you're probably many other things. So we talk a lot about different aspects of the company, your hiring strategy, the evolution of the product, a little bit about your fundraising. What else can you tell me about the future of Welly? So yeah, the, the future of Welly will be to find the product market fit because now we believe that we already have this product market fit because we already generated like turnover without having any products. So we know there is a need, but now you have different sense of product market fit. Us, we want to validate that we can sell this product like as a normal product, not anymore as a, as a Figma product. So we need to validate this. It will be also the focus of the company for this. And then the idea of when we find this product market fit and when we, we will have a real great product, it will be for us the perfect timing to do our seed round. And so as soon as we have this SaaS management, SaaS buying platform ready, we will start to make user research for other verticals, et cetera, et cetera. So the idea is like by the end of 2022, we want also to make our seed run and start to scale the business. So tell me about the next round of fundraising. What's your timeline? We will start uh, the fundraising process by the end of uh, Q2, quarter two, 2022. Okay. And, do you, and how much are you planning to raise? We have in mind between five and seven million. Nice. So Vince, I, I, at this point, I, I want to ask you if, there, if there's anything that you'd like to share with us that we haven't covered yet. Yeah, so now today we have launched our product. So if people, they think they, they feel this problem, or oh, it could be helpful to help them managing the tools during, you know, a fast growing period, I would be like very happy just to even have a chat with them and see how do they do things and how we could help or even I could give give them advice like so it would be people like kind of talking with them and also what I learned from this um, project is I invite also uh, venture capital investors to to contact me I will be very happy to to chat uh, about uh, market vision and to share our expertise and what we know maybe it can be like super helpful. I, th I mean, like talking with investors, it's like super interesting because they already have talked to all your competitors. They know all the vertical of the market. So it's always a, a very useful talk with them. And it's super interesting to, to nurture your company vision as well. I hope uh, to all those listening that they take, take you up on your offer. I want to, on behalf of the Innovation Nest team, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this podcast uh, session with us. It's going to be one of our first episodes, and I think it's going to be a good one. So thank you again, Vince. And I wish uh, you and the Welly team all the best and that everything goes up and to the right for the months and years to come. Thank you, Matt. I also appreciate the exchange. It was really nice to meet you, and I, I hope to see you, to see you soon. Sounds good, Vince. Thank you. On behalf of the entire Innovation Nest team, I want to thank you for listening today. 
If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to write us or be on the show, drop us a note at partners at innovationnest.com or find me on LinkedIn. I'm Matt Bujalski, and you've been listening to VC in Conversations. <laughs>